Welcome to another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. I'm gathered tonight just myself and Mike. A little bit of a, an OG Eagles Water Cooler. Um, throwing it back to How we do it. How are we doing it. tonight, Chris? <laughs> doing all right, man. Doing all right. Uh, probably the, the loss this season uh, that the Eagles suffered out in the desert to the Cardinals. Probably the, the one that stings the least this season um, because of the effort that we saw and um, – hope for the future but uh still some issues clearly and we'll break those down tonight how are you feeling good um kind of a fun time of the year for me i've got a nice little couple week break from work so just trying to enjoy distance myself from the uh the brutalness i guess of the the year working and um getting ready for the holidays so but looking forward to talking birds tonight. We got yeah, some for sure. A lot of fun things happening. Cardinals yeah. game was super fun. Um, it was. We're talk about some draft draft prospects tonight. Yeah, we're gonna touch on the uh, Eagles' loss to the Cardinals, which was fun regardless. It was fun the whole way through, even uh, as we'll talk about with the Eagles having a really slow, rough start. But Mike and I are going to review the loss to the Cardinals. We're going to talk and focus in a little bit about the Eagles' current draft position and some prospects that might interest them and some positions of need. Mike and I each did a little research on either side of the ball. And then lastly, we will touch on the upcoming game the Eagles have this Sunday against the Cowboys. Despite everything that has been 2020, the Eagles are not out of it. So... Uh, let's press on uh, to talk about Jalen Hurts, who in his second start was impressive. Not at first. Started uh, pretty rough after the defense gave him a great out, causing and recovering a fumble um, in the red zone. The Eagles take over, and Jalen Hurts struggles on the first drive, which resulted uh, in him trying to throw the ball away, but ultimately it resulting in a safety because of their field position and his uh, throwaway not reaching uh, the point that it should have. So really kind of one of those moments as a fan, uh, a little bit of a not, oh, moment and, and not uh, in a catastrophe way, but just more, I hope I wasn't fooled last week. I don't know if that's what you were feeling on that first drive. Definitely. Um, it was kind of like, all right, we were on this high for a little bit with, you know, Hertz looks like a new, uh, new savior to come in and rescue all us Eagles fans from this terrible season that has unfolded. And yeah, beginning of the game, it made your stomach turn a little bit like, okay, maybe, maybe our problems are just with us for the, for the long haul. It's not just Carson. Um, yeah. 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 You had that feeling like, wow, all the same problems are still right there. Um, mm -hmm. And you could see a lot of it on the first drive, not just with Hertz, but also the receiving options. And we'll talk about some of those tonight, but Ultimately, the Eagles wind up going down 16 to nothing in the first quarter and uh, really journey all the way back in this game to lose 33 uh, to 26 and had an opportunity to win it at the end. Um, 
and we'll talk about that as well. But let's keep with Hurts. So uh, 24 for 44, throwing the ball for 338 yards. He had 63 rushing, four total touchdowns. He really spread the ball around pretty well. Um, and I think that's something I've continued to see him do over a couple of starts, plus the, I guess, half that he came in in the Green Bay game. Uh, he seems to have that knack of looking around the field for all the targets instead of zeroing in on one. Um, but he got over uh, having such a rough start, uh, causing that safety, looking flat, almost throwing an interception on his first drive. And he looked really good throwing the ball. Um, some of the really clutch throws to Alshon, Jeffrey to Zach Ertz to Dallas Goddard to Jalen Rager on the sideline. Uh, the couple of touchdowns he threw to Greg Ward. I mean, the guy was really throwing the ball well. And I think initially in the game, we were seeing a lack of running from him and sort of wondering where that was. But in the meantime, uh, he was slinging it. I, I was impressed with his arm in this game. I sort of know or at least felt like I, I had a good understanding of what he could do with his legs, but was more curious about his arm. And I think – I think I got to see a little bit more of that in this game. I thought that was exciting. Yeah, I thought um, just looking back at the tape, this really was Jalen Hurts running Carson Wentz's offense. It wasn't him, you know, it wasn't as many designed runs or designed rollouts. It was him throwing the ball down the field. And he did a great job with that. He, he does seem to make smart decisions in the passing game, and he's got a real knack for throwing chunk yardage. The other thing I really love about Hertz, and it's it's just something about like the touch that he throws with and the type of ball he throws. Um, it's just a much softer, looks like um, maybe on his deep balls, a little floatier, um, just easier for receivers to uh, catch, get their hands on, uh, maybe pick it up in the air as well, compared to Wentz, who's a little bit more of a slinger, harder passer. Um, it, it just looks like Jalen's got a really nice uh, touch that bodes well for receivers, tight ends, uh, screen passes, what have you. Um, it's to, a smooth to, motion. I, yeah. I described it on an earlier podcast, I think, with maybe just uh, Matt and myself. I described it as silky. It just has this sort of like very smooth delivery, um, and it doesn't look like it takes them a whole lot of effort. Um, not to get into a comparison moment, but with Carson Wentz, I see this big windup when he goes to throw the ball, this big sort of exaggerated series of arm and leg movements. And with Hertz, it almost is like one fluent movement that happens uh, pretty quickly. So the mechanics there are very pleasing to the eye. Uh, and I agree with you. He seems to throw a pretty ball. But, um, you know, what, when he finally was able to, the run game did materialize. He did wind up taking off um, the rushing touchdown that he scored I thought really showed something where he he was able to scramble and then he was sort of stifled and as he was stifling still fought through uh, and was able to get in and twist and turn and, and fall for the touchdown it really reminded me of this uh, I guess it's a gift that's circling around on the internet of him and he's deadlifting like 600 pounds or something just crazy um, does like a one big deadlift at OU and he's screaming at all his teammates around him but it's an awesome video too I mean I, I I get, I get why, you know, a bunch of dudes appreciating another dude for how much he can lift is kind of a funny concept. Right, for just being swole. But, <laughs> but realistically, if you, I mean, I guess if you really think about it, um, when you think of Jalen Hurts, strength is probably not the first thing that comes to mind. And I feel like I saw a little bit more of that in that game. Mental strength, obviously, but I feel like on, on uh, certain plays, especially that rushing touchdown, 
he, he was facing off against Buda Baker, who's a good safety, a strong guy who's, who's made the Pro Bowl, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Jalen Hurts just kept going, wouldn't be stopped uh, on that drive. And that, that really showed me something. Um, probably to me, the most impressive thing was this fourth quarter snap, fumble, recovered fumble, and then just float uh, to Dallas Goddard downfield. I thought that was just such a highlight moment. Um, really something that made me think of a, a younger Carson Wentz, honestly. But um, and, and, you know, just to piggyback off that, that was a hell of a play um, by Hertz, especially to keep his focus downfield for that pass and completion. But Hertz also did fumble four times uh, throughout the game, all of which were recovered by the Eagles. So, you know, ball protection security is an area to watch out for with him. I, I completely agree. And I think that's a part of the game as a rookie that he's been a little exposed there. And even though he was a sec, is a second-year player, I thought Kyler Murray was a classic bad example of how to carry the ball. He does this thing where he sort for of sure. palms it and holds it out to the side. Um, I think that will be something with Jalen Hurts moving forward. A part of his game, he looks to tighten up. He's so comfortable running it that I think uh, sometimes it's easy to be casual with how you carry the ball and not being aware of the sideline and that sort of stuff that can really make uh, a running threat be a true weapon for a team. Um, not to draw on a negative, but driving down the field, and, and we'll arrive at, at the conversation about the play call, but uh, the Eagles are in a position to win this game um, the way that the score wound up finishing at 33-26. to 26. And unfortunately, Hertz took two back-to-back -back sacks, um, which sort of nudged the Eagles out of the red zone proper and made any chance of them scoring uh, just that much more difficult. I really, I can't completely blame it on Hertz because I have to think that there's something better than two Hill Marys from that distance uh, that we could try at the end of that game. But by the same token, I really thought that he uh, struggled on both of those plays where he was sacked, where he looked very indecisive, uh, looked like he got kind of stifled and was just sort of sacked by the defense, really playing hungry, which as uh, Arizona's defense did all game long. So those were just a few things. Mike mentioned the ball security, obviously uh, taking those sacks on those last plays, I think live to play another down, keep your field position. Um, and maybe one of these throws, whether it was to Dallas Goddard or whomever, winds up getting caught because the Eagles were in this game uh, against a team with a much better record on the road with their rookie quarterback. They were in this game. And I'll just. Now, I think there was a, uh, you know, in terms of them being in this game, they were, they were very fortunate, let's say, to be in this game. You know, when you, when you really looked at it, the um, Cardinals two times in the game looked like they were going to score. And I think turn the ball over to the Eagles uh, one was an interception, uh, I think, by Epps in the end zone. The other was a fumble recovery. Um, so that's points off the board. I think there was there may there may have been some additional points off the board, but this could have easily uh, been a game where the Cardinals put up a much higher score than they did. And I think it just it just brings light to the fact that our defense still isn't there yet. Um, you know and ultimately probably is the reason we lost the game. You know, we, this was a game that we didn't win. Um, you know, we can't give Hertz too much credit because ultimately we didn't win the game, but uh, the defensive side of the ball really needs to 
get a little bit better in order to, you know, be in a game like this, because I, I think it easily could have been a bigger point differential than it was. And we are going to talk about the defense. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and there's a lot of culpability to spread around here, to be fair. But, you know, the, the defensive backfield, at least, is playing with mostly backups, uh, practice squad players, players that they've signed, you know, just recently off of waivers from other teams. Um, and I think some of them really availed themselves well, considering the wide receiver core they were facing. But in general, I, th I think you're probably right. I think there were some, you know, moments on defense where uh, rushes happened, tackles didn't happen where they should have. I think about, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jalen Mills tackle on the tight end, whose name I can't remember on the sideline. And he, he managed another about 15 yards after that missed tackle, mm -hmm. um, which would have been just beyond the line of scrimmage. So we will get to the defense. But I wanted to cap off talking about Jalen Hurts, who's sort of the hot topic now, by just saying the guy's just fun to watch. Uh, as Mike said at the very beginning of the podcast, this loss was an adventure. This was an exciting game that started off looking very hopeless. And this quarterback in his second start as a rookie uh, brought his team back and was really able to be productive and, and almost win the game, maybe but for a, uh, a Hill Mary catch or someone grabbing it as it falls to the ground. Um, but there were some mistakes in between. And I just wanted to ask, you know, in my opinion, and I really believe this, I think, even from what I've seen as being a small sample size from Jalen Hurts, I do think Carson Wentz at his best uh, is a more skilled quarterback than Jalen Hurts. But, and maybe that remains to be seen now that I say that out loud, but to me, I'll start it this way. It appears that Hurts is a, is a better fit for what's going on with the Eagles. And I'll say that on two levels. First is the scheme, which obviously they did not wind up winning this game and scheme was a part of that. But when the team is rolling, it looks like there's a clicking going on between what Doug is looking to call and what Hertz's skill set is able to facilitate with the offense and Hertz as a complement to those other weapons. Miles Sanders was not a, as prolific in this game, but as I mentioned earlier, Hertz really spreads the ball around to a lot of different receiving targets. So what are your thoughts there, Mike? I mean, does it look to you like at least in 2020 that Hertz was kind of put in as a puzzle piece and things are just kind of coming together? Absolutely. Um, in terms of this season, Hurts, I think unquestionably looks like the better fit for this offense for all the reasons, you know, you kind of just said his ability to spread the ball around, find the receivers, make um, smart, quick decisions in the game. I think, um, I think you know, that might be one of the biggest differences between his play and Wentz's play is Hertz seems to be able to make that uh, that decision just so fast that it doesn't interrupt the play of the game whether it's finding the open receiver uh, down the field and uh, he's really been um, solid obviously his ability to make plays with his legs but because of the small sample size I guess I guess you know the more time that keeps going by after this second week um, of him starting. I was, I've just been, I've been reading some articles about, you know, the Kool-Aid we were drinking after Wentz went three and one his first season with the birds and all of the record numbers that he was throwing up. And um, I guess you could also make a, a little bit of an argument that Hertz is playing the best ball 
he's playing kind of his at his at his top. He's he's trying to impress and he's trying to um, you know compete in order to get this job and um, you know maybe the level that we're seeing Hertz at right now is you know from that high of being put into this you know awesome position as a rookie to perform and that you know his ultimately his play and numbers as a quarterback will level down a little bit um i don't know it just i guess i guess i'm putting the uh the caution flag up a little bit to to deem him you know totally taking this job from from Wentz at this point but yeah, and that's probably, as we mentioned on the last podcast, uh, as a conundrum, this is a, a podcast in and of itself. This dilemma that the Eagles are going to be faced with. But I think for our eyes, uh, which tell us so much about what we're you know, understanding as, as part of the future for this team, it's clicking with Jalen Hurts. And it has clicked in small sample size of, uh, I guess it'd be two and a half games now more so than it did in the balance of the season with Carson Wentz. Uh, there were dribs and drabs here and there, but it was really a painful experience. And it really looked like um, almost like a, a technician with the wrong tools or, you know, just a mismatch. And with Hertz, it, it's looking like a match, at least for right now. So maybe we leave it at that. Um, speaking of matches and mismatches, the Eagles offensive line in its 14th, I believe it was 14th, could have been 13th or 14th. Not that it's of, it doesn't really matter at this point. There's just been so many different combinations of offensive line players, but I thought the O-line struggled in this game. I think Hertz was able to sort of make up for it and they, they were able to make plays where necessary, but uh, the pass rush still got home. I, I don't have the number in front of me. I think Hertz was sacked five or six times. So Yeah, I think it was, I think you're right. I think it was, it was up there because I think between his first two starts now, he's got eight sacks. Um, well, and you think about as an Eagles fan, the uniqueness of this season, at least in the last, you know, recent memory that we have to go back to Andy's last year when we've had this kind of a situation, but that the O-line, regardless of the Eagles record year in and year out, that was one of those reliable factors. And this year it's been anything but starting. And, and, and with the O-line too, I, I just, for some reason, and it seems to, have happened with Hertz getting inserted into the lineup, but there's been a resurgence in our screen game. Um, we've had a couple really big plays the past couple weeks on screens. Quez Watkins had that, he had a nice uh, roll to the sideline for that touchdown play. Um, there was another big one that got some, might've been a Sanders screen um, where he had to kind of really slow his pace down in order to let the offensive lineman kind of get out to that second level and block for him. Um, I would say it happened again a little bit later with Boston Scott, not quite as long of a play, but a similar situation where he sort of caught the ball, waited for the line to catch up yeah. in front of him and uh, just sort of stalled there for a second. But you make a really good point there, Mike. The screens have been a huge part of the Eagles offensive identity for a long time. And that was a big thing that we've been sort of pounding the table for this year, saying that we've been missing. Uh, mm -hmm. So to see that reappear with Hertz in the lineup, yeah, you got to figure there's something there. But what I was starting to say about the O-line in particular is not to say the Eagles were doomed from the start, but between the injuries with Lane Johnson and what we knew about Brandon Brooks coming into the year, this was always going to be a tough situation for them. They were always going to have a tough time putting it together. They also have sort of a secondary dilemma with Andre Dillard, who 
Doug Peterson brought up recently when he was asked about whether or not Jordan Mailata had earned the starting left tackle position. Uh, Doug brought up Andre Dillard, and truthfully, I completely forgot about Andre Dillard up until he brought up uh, the fact that they had used a first-round pick on this guy. And there's just a lot of questions about the O-line. It's gone from being a perennially trustworthy position to being kind of a question mark and uh, a lot of aging guys. So I I don't have high expectations for the remainder of the season, uh, but that is going to be a focal point, hopefully, for – those who develop in the front office because the Eagles are lacking there. If nothing else. Yeah. I, I think you're right. This, the rest of this year, don't look for anything great out of the O-line, but there is some room to um, be hopeful. My looks like he might pan out um, and could be our starting left tackle going forward. I think he's played some really great ball this year. I think Jack Driscoll, that that selection in the draft, um, you know, he's had some injury this year, but when he's been in there, we've been really impressed with his play. And he can kind of maybe be a utility guy uh, going forward on the right side of the line. We also have Brandon Brooks coming back next year. That's right. Um, you know, the, probably the best guard in all of football. Uh, so the Eagles have done some things to, um, you know, solidify – the future, if guys can stay healthy, there is stuff, you know, question mark with what's going to happen with Jason Kelsey. How much, how many more years does he play? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Eagles have a good enough O-line room right now to take it into next season and going forward to be successful. Yeah, and I think you you make a couple really good points. I mentioned Brandon Brooks earlier, and you mentioned him again. I think he's such a pivotal part of that right side, and especially him as a tandem with Lane Johnson. And we hope that they're going to be here moving forward. Obviously, Brandon Brooks has the money coming to him, but Jason Kelsey has talked about retirement for a long time now, and it still hasn't happened. Let's hope it still doesn't um, because he was named to the Pro Bowl uh, just this week, and obviously his play has matched that. Uh, this year and he's sort of the leader when it comes to the offensive line but over on the other side there's going to be some question marks you do hope what you've seen from Jack Driscoll can bloom into maybe him being the new Vitae where he can play a swing tackle position maybe Nate Herbig who we've seen a lot of this year maybe he becomes the swing guard and maybe they get one or two other guys obviously they drafted uh, Prince Winago this year also and maybe they hope that eventually he'll turn into something But moving on from the O-line, Mike brought up the screen game, and that first touchdown, the first scoring play, first glimpse of hope for us as Eagles fans, was Quez Watkins catching a pass behind the line of scrimmage and on a dime uh, pulling off a spin move, running at 32 yards uh, to the end zone. So I have to tell you, that was one of those, you see it and you're like, what? It, just, it happened so fast and partially because the player was so fast, but also just sort of the nature of the play. I don't know if it was run exactly as it was rehearsed, as it was practiced, because it looked to me like he was a little closer to the line. Uh, maybe then it was designed where he was kind of supposed to be more to the outside. But as I mentioned, catch the ball spins around on instinct and just takes off. I mean, and it's way past everybody. I saw a lot from Quez Watkins on that play. It is just one play. But my hope is that the Eagles invest in what they saw there and give them some more opportunities. I was excited by that. Absolutely. That was an awesome play, especially as a fan, and uh, to have the awareness 
to see where the open field is is a you know a special talent. Um, and he looked incredibly fast. Quez Watkins is a really fast receiver. Gotta gotta see where that guy's career goes. Definitely give him more next game. You know, give him a few more opportunities because I think he's earned it. I agree, and I, I think it it's something where I also as much as I've seen the speed utilized behind the line in the scrimmage in jet sweep uh, and orbit motion stuff, both with Quez Watkins as well as Jalen Rager, I want to see a little bit more downfield stuff. There seems to be a little bit of a restriction uh, with Jalen Hurts and him throwing downfield in sort of nine route situations. I've seen him throw sideline balls uh, to Rager, to Alshon Jeffrey, even in this game, uh, this past game against Arizona. But I kind he had of a scramble, a scramble ball that he overthrew Rager just by like a foot or two. Um, right. That was against New Orleans. Uh, was that against New Orleans? Or was that this past week? Well, it was one of them. Um, yeah, not to say Jalen's long balls don't look good. I, I, you know, I think the Eagles have a lot of respect for him throwing down the field. So definitely, let's see some more of it. I, are, were you going to make a point as to maybe why they're not calling that for those, uh, yeah, for those receivers? Sure. I'd like to make a point about it, but I'm really not sure. And, and that could be also a byproduct of the O-line shakiness, which we touched on just before, that they're not able to give him the coverage necessary to get somebody downfield. But, boy, Quasar well. can look pretty quick to me. I mean, I, I say if you just tell him, go out there and just run past the guy in front of you and look up for the ball, uh, I think Jalen Hurts can pull that off. So I'd like to see that. I'd like to see vertical elements for young players like Quez Watkins, like Jalen Rager. And we'll talk yeah. about Rager in a little bit coming up. Here. Okay, yeah, I, I was going to say I have a point on Rager, but I'll save it. Okay, let's talk about another receiver that you named in our last podcast as your offensive player of the game, and that was Greg Ward. Now, you, you, you aimed high, I'll say, did. with the yardage. It was 100 yards projected and a touchdown. He did you one better on the touchdowns with two, but as far as yardage goes, he's only four for 15. Now, I mean, go in, terms of the, in terms of the fantasy scale, we're not taught, you know, 100 yards with one touchdown is basically the same points as 15 yards with two touchdowns. So maybe in terms of fantasy points, I got it right on, but yeah, I, I messed up on the, uh, I thought he would be, the thing I liked going into the game, Chris, was um, hearing an interview about how Greg Ward um, and Jalen Hurts, one, knew each other well from college, um, had a lot of respect for each other, playing both playing the quarterback position and also working what seemed like working very hard with one another after practice to get some routes down. And um, it just seemed like those two were trying to put the work in. Um, and it made sense that, you know, right, or, uh, Hertz would feel comfortable throwing his way. Yeah, and I, I can, you can sense the connection. I think I can think back, both of the catches in this game uh, looked like dominant catches. Obviously, the second one was uh, reviewed because it looked as though maybe Greg Ward might have been out of bounds with his second foot coming down. But really, both catches were that sort of trust throw that I think is only existent between a quarterback and a, and a receiver who have that kind of rapport. It seems like Jalen Rager, I'm sorry, Jalen Hurts is looking for Greg Ward in those situations. And he found them twice in this game. Um, Ward has through however many cuts and re-signs and practice squads quads, uh, that he has been a part of, he has really persevered. And I think as a player moving forward, 
the Eagles have a lot of question marks on their offense and especially at wide receiver, but I think they know what they have in their slot. Something I had written here in my notes is, you know what you have there. You know what you have in Ward and you know his limitations, but you also know that he can make these big plays when necessary. Um, and and like, I would even you know, make the point to saying you have a high confidence in Greg's Ward um, ability to catch the ball, to make sure he comes down with the ball. Something that, you know, was always shaky with uh, Aguilar being in the lineup for all those years. Really couldn't, doubt the couldn't doubt the talent of, of Aguilar, um, you know, and getting the start in the slot position. But I think with Greg Ward, you might not have as much of the talent, but more reliability. Well, and the Eagles used to, you know, I think for a long time as we've been Eagles fans, we were relying on certain slot receiver presences who were more sure-handed, get you what you need, but nothing flashy, nothing frilly. Uh, like, you know, I think Jason Avant. Avant comes to mind. But these plays Ward is making in the red zone in particular are flashy plays. Uh, I'd say in the middle of the field, he's making the gotta have it kind of plays. But when it comes to the red zone, it seems the trust there between him and Hertz, he's, he's looking for Greg Ward to make a, a contested catch or, or going up in the air. I mean, that DB on that second touchdown, that DB did everything he could to throw Greg Ward out of bounds and he just wouldn't have it. He got both feet down. So. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, uh, just in terms of them both having experience at quarterback position that gives Greg Ward an, ex uh, an advantage on how to do the scramble drill. Um, as a receiver, some some receivers may not really know what the quarterback really wants to look for, but he seemed to have moved to the right parts of the field twice during the game for uh, Hertz to be able to find him after scrambling out of the pocket. And regardless of the politics of the future of the Eagles, I think that if John Hertz is a part of it, that ability to scramble and make something happen will continue to be a good skill to have uh, and a big part of their relationship between Jalen Hurts and Greg Ward. Let's talk about a couple other offensive things before we talk about the defense from this game, and then we're going to move on. Um, Miles Sanders has a decent game, uh, does what he needs to, um, but doesn't really do anything over the top. Has, a, has one really nice long catch and run, I think almost 30 yards, maybe 26 or 27 yards. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the O-line was shaky, but I think Miles gave you what you needed in this game. Probably could have used a little bit more from him. One of those breakout runs, I think, probably – might have sealed this game at some point if it could have happened, but um, a lot going on there. So I won't put too much on Miles, especially after last week's performance. However, and you can certainly bring your point up here wherever you feel it, Mike, Jalen Rager is a talented player. Uh, I think it's, it's apparent to me he's a fast player. He's a strong player. Uh, I like watching him, uh, especially when he's utilized properly. He goes five for 49 receiving in this game. Uh, he was one for negative 10 yards rushing on a really bad double reverse uh, that the defense saw coming the entire way. I I'm not sure that that play is really worthwhile running with him anymore. It seems to me the defense always sees it coming. But to sum it up with Jalen Rager, I, I think in general I need to see more. Now, there's always going to be comparisons to Justin Jefferson, who's been prolific as a, as a rookie and maybe a rookie of the year candidate for all I know excuse me, on the offensive side of the ball. But I think he's a different kind of player than Rager. I have to hope with some more time, 
with the quarterback, some more time in the offseason, some more time to sort of develop as a pro, that he'll come into form. I This is not a JJ situation where I haven't seen it at all. It's not even a Nelly situation where I'm kind of concerned about what I have seen. It's one of those, I like what I've seen, but I don't have enough of a full picture yet. I wonder what your point was on Rager and, and your viewpoint on him at this at this point in the season. Yeah, definitely not a full enough picture to date. Um, he needs a bigger sample size as well because, you know, he was out with injury this year. But I would encourage anybody to go look at the uh, – pass interference that Rager drew on a uh, sideline throw that resulted in the Eagles getting the ball, I think, at the one-yard line. Yeah, um, it was the Patrick Peterson, right, I think? I believe so. Yeah, and, like, you. he – he his ability on that play to just kind of, like – I don't know if that – that's not really a stutter step because he just, like, acted like he was going to sprint but, like, did a full stop and then started to sprint. And the cornerback um, just had to had to grab him, totally pi. And that you know th- those are fun plays. Those are game changing plays that show you some of the explosiveness and um, what he can contribute to the offense. So it, it was more than just uh, his fifty some yards catching um, his impact on the game, and maybe he can improve in those areas. Yeah, and there are a couple of plays I can think of earlier in the game where, and I had mentioned in the last pod, the matchup between Jalen Rager and, and Patrick Peterson, who really got the better of Jalen Rager almost all game long. Um, and I think it's one of those situations where, you know, Rager is a very athletic, very fast player who could probably stand to have an offseason to really learn how to craft and, and beat those savvy veteran Pro Bowl corners like Patrick Peterson because, um I think long-term Rager has a lot of potential in different spots. And I, I, I really uh, coming out, I read a lot about Rager being a gadget player. And I think the gadget player sort of nightmare name that always comes up is Tavon Austin. And um, in my mind, Rager has a lot more going for him. And I just kind of want to see what's there. And, and as you mentioned, Mike too, get a little bit clearer of a picture. Um, but Mm-hmm. obviously the Eagles decided to forego Justin Jefferson for Rager and that'll be something that's always there. Let's hope with some more time that we can see Rager really come into form. Um, Jefferson's had the, you know, the advantage of having Kirk Cousins start for him this entire year. Kirk had a slow start, but certainly Kirk's been doing really what Kirk does. I, I forget what the stat was, but he's like one of the only quarterbacks to post, uh, I think it was 30 plus touch passing touchdowns, like the past five years or something, something of that nature. It was just one of those stats where you go like, yeah, Kirk Cousins isn't an elite quarterback, but that guy certainly is a, a, a pretty, I would say uh, veteran passer. Yeah. And I think, the boot, you know, uh, the, albeit they are different players, you know, Justin Jefferson is a completely different style, style of player than Jalen Rager, but the other thing is Rager suffered multiple injuries this year after never really having been injured in his football career, suffers two injuries this year and misses a lot of time. So we need the full picture. We don't have it yet. I think that's where Mike and I are coming from. Dallas Goddard was solid in this game, made some big plays when he needed to, especially in the open field. He was four for 39. Uh, I thought he caught that uh, first pass into the end zone there at the very end of the game to seal it. Uh, Unfortunately, it wound up hitting the ground. Um, at the very end, that second Hill Mary play, it looked like he was standing right there and could have just dove down or put his hands out and caught the ball as it dropped. But 
maybe the angle wasn't good. I, I don't really know what to make of that, to be honest. I think it might be a little bit overdone. I know on the play before he was, he was blocking and he got hit pretty hard. So maybe it was a byproduct of that, but I think it really falls back to Doug needing to have a better game plan, giving the down and distance, the sacks that Jalen Hurts took. Um, that was a disappointing moment for me from Doug after a game that I thought was pretty decent uh, at the end there to run basically two back-to-back Hill Marys from the 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it just seemed to me you should have something else in the tank there. Yeah, you, you probably should. Um, at least something to get you inside the red zone so that you can, yep. So that you can, yep. Just have, you, you know, you should have that as a head coach sequenced out. If there's, if you have two plays left in the game, you should say, okay, well, we run this play because the defense gives it to us to, um, you know, get it inside the 20. And then based on that, call your, you know, call your best play inside the red zone to score the touchdown and win the game. It just increases the probability that you're going to score that touchdown. Um, I'd be interesting to know the analytics behind that decision because maybe it was a deliberate decision by Doug saying like, oh, well, Hail Marys, there's a, uh, I don't know, let's just say there's a 30% conversion rate. And he was like, all right, well then, you know, let me try it twice because that gives us a better chance of actually hitting on it. Yeah, I think the time metric when you're sort of looking at those statistics, I think the time metric would be a big part of that as they're winding down to the final seconds of the game. But, you know, when you really think about it, the defense knows that you're trying to go for it in one shot and that you need it sort of in one shot. And I wonder about the possibility on the first, instead of throwing a Hail Mary on the first one, when you still have a little more time, I wonder about, an intermediate throw to a Dallas Goddard or Jalen Rager who can really run um, and letting them have an opportunity in the intermediate field to just make people miss. And instead of throwing it up and saying, Oh, let's just give it a chance. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't instead to say, you know what, let's kind of be a little bit, a little bit more determined about this and get some yards, get a little bit closer. And then maybe miles just punches it in. Yeah. That's a thought that I had as that was coming down. So we're going to talk about Doug probably as his own podcast this off season, because there needs to be some changes uh, as far as his involvement in the offense. Should he still be around? And, and truthfully, if I'm saying it right now, I think, I think Doug will be around personally. Uh, the more time that's gone by, I, I feel the Super Bowl is still too recent. The year is still too strange. Um, and the fact that he's put together two pretty decent games, albeit one win and one loss. I think the players have shown they'll play for Doug. I'm not sure what that'll mean to Lurie, but I see Doug still being here, but needed to really look at his play calling. Yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Um, but it is a giant, like, question mark. What, what's going on inside Jeffrey Lurie's head? He doesn't – he's a guy who does not talk to the media very much. I think he does, like – at the beginning of each season, a press conference. And then he pretty much stays out of the way, except for a little bit of charity work. And you see him on TV during the games. He'll do those um, kind of team right. addresses at the end of the year. But yeah, you're right. He, he keeps his presence pretty small. He could be a wild card right now. I, I, he could be thinking like, we need a new you know person at the head coach seat. Um, he could be, I, it, 
I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's the right move. It, it very well could be. Um, it's not a question yeah. we can really answer right now. I think there's evidence to probably do either, right? He has enough of a resume that's been successful where you could say, yeah, we keep this guy. He's obviously able to work with some quarterbacks, maybe not with everybody. But then there's some sort of damning evidence where you say, okay, well, look at the first three quarters of this season where this team had basically no identity and struggled to put together like one explosive play or one, you know, series of two wins in a row. I mean, it, there were points in this season where it was pretty bleak and, and where I question whether or not players were playing for Doug. Last week against New Orleans in the win, this week against Arizona in the loss, I, I saw the team really playing for Doug. I don't think that is as much of a question in my mind. But when it comes to coaching, I think that the special teams coach, Dave Fitt, uh, maybe somebody who, who could be somewhere else next year. And the yeah. reason I say that is he has been with the Eagles, uh, and I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he was brought on when Chip uh, came on in 2013. So yeah. there was a time, especially I think about sort of the Darren Sproles uh, early Eagles games as, a, as an Eagle for Darren Sproles, that he was pretty dynamic in special teams and it's been a really long time other than the Jalen Rager punt return this year it's been a really long time since we've had sort of meaningful special teams plays few tackles here and there um, obviously our punter is who he is he's been doing a great job all year but I just wonder about the combo of the special teams in this game giving up a fake punt having a punt blocked and then in a situation where Cameron Johnson, the punter, was injured and Zach Ertz was the holder on a field goal, had to sort of cover up the ball on a fumbled snap, uh, which was really more the snapper's fault. But you look at that combination and Jake Elliott having the year he's had, I think it might be time for a change at that coaching position. I have to think that the personnel there has shown that they're pretty talented. I just wonder if maybe getting a new coach in there wouldn't be uh, – wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I'm sure Dave Phipp has a, a good enough resume. He could get a job somewhere else, but might be time for a change there. Yeah, I could. I, I, I see that. Um, certainly this year we've seen every part of our football team come up short and have a lot of problems. Um, the offense seems to be getting going uh, the past couple of weeks, particularly against the Cardinals. There's, there's that movement. Um, on the offense, special teams and defense, you know, ultimately are the reason the Eagles lost this game. And yeah, special teams hasn't been having a good year. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And he may be part of that same, you know, COVID COVID created a weird year, no off season, that kind of thing. He's had more good seasons than bad seasons, but even going back to, you know, the, the Super Bowl year, I mean, it's, when I think about Eagles having really prolific special teams, it, it does go back to the chip era. I don't really remember that many great special teams plays uh, in the time that Doug has been here. And yeah, there's been a couple, there were a couple opportunities in this game where if they block that fake punt, um, if they're able to, you know, get after the, the punter before he gets the pass off or block that, um, I, I think they're in a better position. I think it's, it's been more than one thing this year that's, that's kind of pointed me to that, but Moving on from the offense and the special teams, the defense in this game sort of spreads it around. The D-line gets after it. Um, I forget uh, what the actual sack number was. I don't know if you want to look it up, Mike, if you have a second. But the defense 
uh, was able to generate two forced fumbles and an interception in a game where they were using almost all backup uh, defensive backs. In particular, Michael Jaquette. I don't know if it's Jaquette or I'm not sure how you say it, but uh, his his um, play in this game, forcing fumbles, uh, playing on DeAndre Hopkins, I think he was put in probably the most difficult position of any one-to-one player on the field, and he seemed to come through and thrive. To me, both the uh, catch that DeAndre Hopkins had on Michael Jaquette in the end zone where he sort of palmed the ball, uh, as well as Larry Fitzgerald catch Larry Fitzgerald's catch where he's sort of catching the ball around the DB. Uh, these were sort of circus heroic kind of catches that the uh, Cardinals receivers were having to make over the Eagles defensive backs who a couple of weeks ago were either on a practice squad or in some cases not in the league at all. So I was pretty impressed with how the defensive backs played given the, the receiving core they were up against. And uh, I, I do think it's got to be a nod to me to uh, Marquan Manuel, who is the new defensive backs coach. I think he comes in and he's clearly got his guys prepared, whether they're the starters like Darius Slay or Michael Jackett or any of these other guys who came in and, and were able to perform. So um, not enough, obviously. Those catches, those circus heroic catches were still made and the points were put up and the Eagles wound up losing. But I was pretty impressed with what I saw there. And I think this guy Jackett is, has proved at least he deserves an opportunity to be on maybe the practice squad or, or provide some depth um, because he stepped up in a big spot and he, he was, he was the cause of two of those forced fumbles. So. Yeah. I can't find sack numbers, Chris, but I, I mean, they do have three turnovers in the game. The defense did against the Cardinals. So they did, they did allow um, 526 total yards, 423 passing 103 on the ground. Um, but they did come up with those three big turnovers, which was so pivotal in the Cardinals not running that score up. <laughs> well, and honestly, the first one that was on the Cardinals' first drive, which looked very fluent, they're just moving their way to the end zone without any trouble at all, distributing the ball, running the ball. And all of a sudden, they throw it to DeAndre Hopkins, of all people, and Michael Jackett causes a, a forced fumble. Um, I, I just thought uh, – at that point, to be honest with you, I thought the Eagles might win this game just because of how much that turned the tide for just how dominant Arizona looked coming out of the gate there. And for the defense to make a stand on a night where they're really depleted in terms of personnel, I thought that was uh, pretty impressive. But a three turnover game for the Eagles is kind of a unicorn. I mean, for them to have even one interception in a game uh, is significant. So I think... um, Go ahead. Just yeah, I was just gonna say, um, in one of Rube's articles on NBC Sports Philly this week, he um, he said he it's gonna sound crazy considering Hopkins caught uh, nine passes for 170 yards and a touchdown. I don't care. Michael Jaquette is a player, undrafted rookie, making his first NFL start um, and drawing a future Hall of Famer. While that guy battled, um, didn't back down from the situation and had really good coverage. Uh, like you were saying, he thinks, Rube thinks, Jaquette and Darius Slay will be the Eagles starting cornerbacks next, next year. I could see it. And honestly, you know, I, I think he showed something in this game in that if he just was able to cover and 
DeAndre Hopkins still got his and, you know, you say, well, you had a tough day, but at least you ran around out there. He was able to sort of make a meaningful impact in this game. I think that at least deserves him being considered as a depth player, but I mean, it could be more than that. I, I think this is a perfect segue uh, for us to lead into talking about uh, the Eagles draft for next year, their position as things sit right now with the regular season, still two games to go. I just want to say the Eagles were only able to generate one total sack against Arizona, against Kyler Murray, and that was a half sack each for Nikel Roby Coleman and Michael Jackett. So obviously that was the only place that they showed up. I thought Fletcher Cox was consistently disruptive, Malik Jackson consistently disruptive, um, but lots of penalties though on the defense, as I said, lots of offside, lots of neutral zone infraction. Um, they got to they gotta be able to clean that stuff up. And truthfully, even though Schwartz has done a great job, there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of dumb penalties. And in particular, I think about Barnett hitting DeAndre Hopkins after he's already out of bounds. Barnett has kind of a history of these knuckleheaded kind of moments. And I hope that moving forward, he can clean that up uh, if he is still a part of the Eagles. As we mentioned last week, Josh Sweat is uh, sort of fast approaching him. But let's segue to talk about, we mentioned cornerbacks. As it stands right now, the Eagles would pick seventh overall uh, in the 2021 draft. Um, you know, we're trying to keep an eye on the future here. Mike and I, Andrew, Matt, we're all interested in the draft. Given the way the Eagles season has gone, I think it's only right, it's only natural that we would start to look ahead. And we're considering two players tonight, both out of the University of Alabama, one on defense and one on offense. So if it's not Michael Jaquette, Mike has looked up, uh, Mike of our podcast, that is, has looked up uh, a prospect that the Eagles could be interested in and who could be available at that number seven spot. Mike, I'm going to turn so, Yeah, at that number seven spot, the Eagles um, could draft a junior coming out of Alabama named Patrick Sertan II. Um, he is a cornerback. He is six foot two. 202 pounds. Uh, he's from Plantation, Florida. Now his dad, also Patrick Sertan, played for the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs, also as a cornerback. Um, interestingly enough, both him and his dad, um, his dad was known as a, as a lockdown corner in the league. And um, his son, uh, Sertan, the second is also known as a lockdown corner for University of Alabama. Um, over this season so far, um, if these stats are maybe a game outdated, but almost current, he's allowed 16 completions for 190 yards. He's got ace uh, pass breakups, which is a team high. He does have an interception and a return for a touchdown um, on that interception. He's also been named the SEC Defensive Player of the Year, um, which is a, a very high accolade, um, certainly a high, um, a well-established college football conference, and to be the Defensive Player of the Year speaks volumes. Um, he's projected 40 time is a little on the slower side, five, uh, sorry, four or five, two. And the one thing from looking at his film that scares me I guess is maybe that speed element being able to keep up with some of the faster receivers in the league, especially if he's going to be a lockdown guy that's playing man um, on somebody say DeAndre Hopkins, who we just saw, will he be able to um, 
you know, cover that guy down the field. But on the pro side of that, he is six foot two, has huge um, jump capability and a huge wingspan. When, he, when he's for a six foot two guy, he just looks like he plays at about like six six or six seven, and his reach to be able to just go knock the ball down is kind of uh, just something you can't teach. It's just part of how he's built. Um, he kind of looks like a D end. I was just as as Mike was describing that. I was pulling up uh, Patrick Sertan, Sertan, Sertan's uh, highlight video and just watching. He almost looks like a like a D end when he's like really getting after it. I watched that interception for the touchdown that you mentioned um definitely an aggressive player from what i'm seeing um i I think the size will probably be something that is helpful i I mentioned to mike before the podcast it seemed to me for a long time the eagles were looking to get defensive backs who were fast but not necessarily had that size um razul douglas before he left was probably one of the last that we had who was uh a bigger guy who who could you know, not really run all that well, but was able to sort of match up with bigger receivers. And I think Sertan looks like he has the game speed necessary. Um, you said he's 6'2". Yep. And the 6'2", wing- 202. And the wingspan is, to me, what's really compelling. I mean, I'm watching a couple of highlights here where he's facing off against uh, a guy I thought about reviewing. I'm going to be reviewing a uh, – or previewing, I, sh- I should say, a wide receiver prospect from Alabama – in Devonte Smith, but another guy I looked at was Jamar Chase from LSU, who's uh, another highly touted wide receiver prospect. And I just watched some clips of Patrick Sertan matching up against Jamar Chase and running with him step for step, swatting the ball away, playing confident, playing big. Um, yeah, some, something I'll add to that, Chris. Just um, when the LSU game this year, Sertan broke up one pass on the night. Um, for the rest of the game, LSU avoided his side of the field. So in terms of his performance against one of the better receivers in the league on LSU, um, all he had to do was break up one pass, and he basically shut down everything else the rest of the night. Well, and I, what I see out of him as a player also who's sort of threatening to – what receivers do. And when I was watching Jamar Chase, who I think is a pretty natural receiver, he looked kind of uncomfortable against Sertan, which I think that's what we want. That's what we want as a corner who's, whether it's through his speed or through his size, that he's able to sort of make those opposing wide receivers uncomfortable. So really good stuff, Mike. I, I, I wonder, and obviously there are draft gurus who know a lot more about value, about positions and how they're meant to be spread around in the draft order. But given that the Eagles are slated to draft seven, if you're Howie, do you take Patrick Sertan at seven? So if I'm going to look at it from the need of the cornerback position, if you're going to take a cornerback position, if you want to, if you want to draft that position, then Sertan, if he's on the board, you got to take him because of the upside this kid has and, and, the, and his resume to date is as being a shutdown corner who can um, be a young player, not somebody that the Eagles have to really have a huge cap hit on uh, right away. Like that just, that does seem like a no brainer. Um, I guess what I'm also going to say is there's a lot of other decisions and later on 
in the offseason, I think we'll have a podcast about which position should the Eagles be focusing on. Um, but if it is going to be a cornerback, Sertan definitely takes Sertan. Well, I think that's pretty compelling. I think, to be honest with you, the the need for another cornerback to sort of oppose Darius Slay for however long he's still with the Eagles as an older player, I think that's a need. And I think if they were to use seven for a corner, I like Sertan. I like his skill set. I agree with you. I'm seeing a little bit of a lack in terms of speed. I don't know if that's something that's coachable, trainable. Excuse me, if that's something um, that that he'll be pressed to do. Or if by the time Darius Slay's time is up, you know, maybe they find another lockdown corner and Sertan is kind of the the opposite side of the field. But I liked what I saw. So I'm glad we looked into him a little bit. And obviously comes from a family of NFL pedigree. I think sometimes that can help, sometimes not. But if your dad's a shutdown corner and, and you have that <laughs> reputation, that's a good start. Come I'm going to flip to the other side of the, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide um, football team and go to the offense to talk about Devontae Smith, probably one of the most exciting wide receiver prospects uh, for a long time. And a guy who was really buried behind other players who came out in this past year's draft, like Henry Ruggs, like Jerry Judy. Um, Devontae Smith is 6'1", 175. He is a senior in 2020. So far, he's gone 98 catches for 1,511 yards. He averages 15.4 yards per reception. He's got 17 touchdowns in 2020. Over his career at Alabama, He's 3,600-plus yards receiving, and he has 40 touchdowns. Um, I'm not sure which writer, and I always like to give credit where I can. Um, uh, Maybe I'll do it on the next podcast if possible. But one of the writers from thedraftnetwork.com, which I can't recommend enough as a great place to do a mock draft if you want to or find out about players, they did a scouting report on Devontae Smith and had a couple of descriptions I thought were nice. Um, reliable and soft hands in all areas of the field. There's no fear when he's entering traffic, but he also cashes in on routine catches. Secondary here, it says um, competitive juices overflow during and after the catch dynamics as he's consistent with attempts to make the first defender miss. His vision is suddening and pressing. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. His vision is sudden and pressing. Um, The only real knock on him, and and they sort of use this in a few different dimensions, is that he is a thinner sort of build and that there's concern that he might get sort of out-muscled by bigger, more aggressive, more physical corners at the pro level. But everything I see in this guy is him getting open. Uh, There are many, many mock drafts already by people who know a lot more about the draft than me, and I'm very passionate about the draft, but um, there have been mock drafts where the Eagles take Devontae Smith at number seven. So Mike had the opportunity to watch him a little bit before the podcast. Mike, I wonder, based on Alabama pedigree, based on what you saw, based on his measurables, maybe his limitations, what are you thinking about this guy? Yeah, well, I mean, 98 catches, 1,500 yards, that's a hell of a year. Um, now certainly that's not all against Alabama does play some, uh, some schools where he might've been able to run those numbers up a little bit, but also, um, 175 pounds, that might be at the same mark that Deshaun Jackson came into the league at or around the same area. So 
it's not that it can't be done. And plus, you look at other guys in the league, maybe like Tyreek Hill. Um, Tyreek Hill's not as tall as um, Devontae. I don't, I don't believe. What was his height again, Chris? He's 6'1", 175. 6'1". So Tyreek Hill, I think, is much shorter than that. But um, certainly with strength, uh, you know, if strength's one of those areas that he needs to grow at, that's something that's definitely teachable. Some of these other things that you mentioned, uh, like fearlessness and uh, soft hands, I think are uh, traits that can be improved, but only to a certain degree. You know, it's, it's a skill that really you need to, to have. And um, that combined with his breakaway speed and ability to get open makes him a scary pick and definitely an area that you want to see the Eagles continue to invest in. Um, this I'm right is, this, yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, part of me, I think we were kind of Alabama themed tonight. So I'm glad we stuck with that team and, and chose players on both sides of, of the ball there, but. Well, they account for a lot of people in the draft, so. They do. And they produce so many pros, uh, who are successful, some not obviously, but many who are, and, you know, something that came to my mind was, um, this other player I mentioned a little bit earlier in Jamar Chase out of LSU and his sort of prolific 2019 season, Jamar Chase opted out of the 2020 season for COVID reasons, for draft reasons. And I think this brought something up for me as I was researching and as you and I were talking about looking into the draft and it's the idea of, do I want a guy who's been not necessarily just sitting on the couch? I'm sure Jamar Chase has been working out and, and doing all that to keep in good shape and, and to be a valuable draft prospect. But a guy who goes out in 2020 and puts out the numbers that Devontae Smith puts out, obviously he's got a little bit less tread on his tire because he's put out more, um, out, he's had more output in college. He's on more production. But I think I personally prefer a guy who's been working. Um, and I think if Jamar Chase is sort of the other big wide receiver prospect up there, I like him a whole lot. And obviously, should the Eagles wind up with him in uh, the 2021 draft, I'll be okay with it. But Devontae Smith having the production he's had this year, and just what I see when I watch him play, Mike and I, Andrew, Matt, we all talk about the eye test a lot, which is I would imagine patented by Mike Missanelli at this point, but um, when you watch him, you can tell he excels at getting away from the defender. And I think that's really what I want to see uh, in this kind of a player in this kind of a wide receiving core that has some talent. As we mentioned, you know what you have in Greg Ward, but Jalen Rager, we need a complete picture. Travis Fulgham, we need a complete picture. Uh, there's sort of a lack of identity surrounding the rest of that unit. So hopefully moving forward, uh, the Eagles are in a position where, who knows, maybe Devontae Smith is, is approachable. Maybe Patrick Sertan is. Either way, I think we would be satisfied knowing they got one of those players who comes from such a high caliber program. So Absolutely. to curtail the draft, talk a little bit and just briefly talk about the Eagles' upcoming matchup against the Cowboys. They play the Cowboys this Sunday at 425. The Eagles despite everything that's happened in 2020 are still in the playoff race. So for the Eagles to be able to make the playoffs in 2020, they would be uh, needing to achieve a six, nine and one record. This would be the worst division winning record in the history of the NFL. And as Matt said on the last podcast, I thought really well, it'd be hard to watch them raise that banner. Uh, but Hey, it is what it is. Um, 
So the Eagles need to go 2-0. They need to beat Dallas at Dallas. I think that game is in Dallas this weekend. Am I right about that? Uh, against Washington is home. But I think the I'm not positive. I can, I can look that up. I think the Dallas game is away. Um, so they need to win against Dallas and Washington. They also, this weekend, need Washington to lose to Carolina. And they need the Giants to lose either to Baltimore or to Dallas. So if any of those things don't happen, this is sort of all, you know, thrown under the bus. This all goes away. Um, but obviously the Eagles going 2-0 is really the only way that they can secure their chances of going to the playoffs. Now, given everything that we've been through this year, do you want to see playoffs, Mike? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'd love to, I'd love to see the playoffs. Um it would give you more time to see what you have in Jalen Hurts. Um, it give these young players. We've, you know, we've got a lot of young players on our team. Some time to get uh, some playoff experience and see what the Eagles can possibly salvage out of this year. Now, with that said, I don't think the Eagles have a good enough defense and special teams this year to be able to really make a run in the playoffs. But. Um, I, I guess you ne- you never know what will happen. You know, once you get that, once you give yourself a chance, you see how far you can go. Well, and I think the the <laughs> prevailing mentality, especially amongst Philadelphians, who tend to be worst case scenario type thinkers, is that there's too many things that need to go right here uh, for this to happen. Echo- Would it be the first time that it ha- that you know weird things agree. happen to make it make it work out? Hundred percent agree. And if any year, it would be 2020, but. To me, what I said on the last podcast holds true. I've seen an exciting sort of outburst from Jalen Hurts here. If they were to, you can call it lucking their way, backing their way, you know, cheating their way, whatever, into the playoffs, if, if they're able to get in, I am interested to see what would happen. I am still going to tune in as Mike is, as Andrew is, despite what he says, uh, as, as Matt will be. But I think they're in a position now where – the division is so bad and the, can, the likelihood of them making it is still there. So I just can't rule them out. I just, I just can't. Um, that is a lot of things to go right, but Washington losing to Carolina is not out of the question. Um, and the Giants losing to Baltimore is not out of the question. So until those things happen and we're hundred percent certain, we'll leave that as a little segment. Um, but should either of those things happen, our draft segment on the next podcast will be a little bit longer. But in this game, I think we're both hoping to see a little bit more from Jalen Hurts, maybe a little bit more early. I don't know if you feel that way. I know I do uh, after the game against New Orleans where I thought he started really well. And then obviously in this game at Arizona, struggled coming out of the gate. I want to see him get a little bit of a faster start in this game and maybe start to use his legs a little bit earlier. I think he sort of strayed away from that. Maybe that was the game plan. Maybe they thought, oh, there's tons of tape of him scrambling. But I'd like to see him establish his own run game a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think it really depends how the Cowboys play him because I think what the Cardinals did was they put six, seven guys on the line every play coming after him, blitzing on runs, blitzing on, blitzing on passing. Um, so they really prevented him from scrambling like he did against the Saints. We'll see how, you know, they play him. And, you know, last week against the Cardinals, he showed he can be an effective passer, uh, just, just like, you know, Carson would in, in running the offense that way. So 
I'm excited to see either way, you know, let the, you know, let the defense kind of dictate what needs to be done. You know, Mike, you said something there that I think is interesting. You said it a couple times in this podcast, and I'm just kind of throwing this back at you, but you said, you know, he ran this offense like Carson would have. Now, one thing that I said that I feel like I, I could stand to see more of is him throwing the ball downfield. But the more I think about that, Mike, that's a really good point because you look around at the stats and sort of who's been catching the ball, um, every touchdown scored by a different player other than obviously Greg Ward had a prolific day, um, that Hertz seems to be able to, to do that. He seems to be able to sort of get the ball around and, and maybe what, maybe a more accurate statement would be the way that the Carson Wentz offense was sort of intended uh, to be right. able to get yeah. things all around. But I think you bring up a good point there in that maybe there aren't any restraints on Hertz. Maybe he's, maybe these are his strengths and he's sort of playing to his strengths and maybe he's not opening it up and throwing it 50, 60 yards downfield, but he's getting it to four or five different receivers. Um, and maybe that's more his game. So I, I think that's a great point you're making. And it'll be interesting in this game to see if that winds up being still true because he, he did have the two touchdown passes to Ward, but he seems to spread it around. That seems to be a common theme. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think what we saw last game was, I don't think Doug has necessarily tailored this offense to Hertz. I think he was like, all right, let's call it like I would want to if Carson were in there and, um, Hertz was able to deliver just a little bit better at this point. Yeah. And I think it's hard to say that part of it. I, I think there is, there seems to me, I'm trying to think of a political way to say this, there's, there's more of a connection between the coaching and the quarterbacking in the last couple of weeks than I've seen the rest of the year. What that means moving forward, I'm not sure, but I know the sample size that I've seen of 2020 it seems like Doug is a little bit more connected with what's going on with the quarterback uh, where before it just seemed a little bit more disconnected. And part of the way that you're seeing that play out is that um, they're seeming to be running tempo at the right time. They're seeming to be uh, running the ball at the right time. They're seeming to be pulling off those screens at just the right time, things that right. we weren't picking up on earlier in the year. So um, let's, let's skip ahead. Let's talk about Doug a little bit and, and, what our expectations are. We're not trying to project whether or not Doug's going to be here next year or what his future could be with the team. Um, but I do hope to see a little bit more in this, in this game from Doug. I do remember the last Cowboys game as being particularly bad, both from Carson and from Doug. Um, so I am hoping to see a little bit more in this game. Maybe that does involve getting Jalen Hurts on the move uh, a little bit earlier, but I think maybe is Doug just kind of, he is what he is at this point and he needs a year in off season, maybe with a, a re evaluation of play calling. I mean, has he sort of plateaued because what we saw last week against new Orleans was pretty impressive. Obviously this game against Arizona, he was sort of on the comeback, but I'm not sure. What, what do you hope to see from Doug the rest of the way here? Mike? I guess starting yeah, I with the Cowboys game. I don't know if we're going to see anything different than what we've been seeing. I'm with you. I uh, can't imagine Doug does enough reflection between now and then to change anything major. I think he's going to continue to um, be overly aggressive and go for it on fourth down and um, maybe a couple head scratching uh, two point conversions uh, that he's going to try to attempt. Um, I, I also think Doug is somewhat not. <clears throat> I think Doug is a great coach 
Um, and I think he's proved again to be a great coach this year and being able to keep the team motivated to play. But his in-game decisions are really kind of what needs to be the bit most improved at this point um, for what, whether that's adjusting the play calling, um, you know, to adjust to what the defense is, is giving you in, in a game or um, if it's situational football, just when to uh, be aggressive, when to not be aggressive. If you're just aggressive all the time, it kind of loses its effect. And I feel like Doug has done that a little bit. So we'll see. But I don't think anything will change uh, the rest of this year. I don't either. But I do think we used this phrase early in the year that like Doug doesn't seem to have his finger on the pulse over the last couple of weeks, although they did lose this past weekend, he does seem to have his finger a little bit better on the pulse, whether or not that's the quarterback. Again, we can evaluate at a later point, but I think Doug is more connected with what's going on. I'm seeing more good from Doug than I have the rest of the year, not necessarily more good than bad. Obviously at the end of the game, two Hill Marys against the Cardinals did not pan out uh, from the 30 yard line, but um, I, I do, I do want to see a little more from Doug in this game. I want to see maybe one or two moments where I go, that's, that's a good moment to call that play, Doug. Nice job. I want to see a couple of those things as, as we go down the stretch. I have in these last two games. I just want to see it continue over the last two. So I'll just say that. Um, I guess I'll ask you, Mike, who are you hoping, especially on the offensive side of the ball, who are you hoping is going to sort of step up and come into form here in the last – couple weeks who are you still looking to see something from uh let's say particularly on offense all righty um i think the guy that we'd really like to see i think there's two guys you know we we are really curious about the rest of this year um the one i you know is a little more of a question mark so i'll just say let's see more breakout from Jalen Rager. Um, you know, let's see him step up. Maybe it's like you were saying earlier, something vertical down the field where he gets to show his speed, make a, um, a dynamic play on the game. Um, it would be great to see him have a breakout, uh, breakout game. What about you? I agree. You know, the, the, I, I've been on Jalen Rager, you know, going back to last year when he was still at TCU. And I, I like the player. I know when uh, the pick was made, we talked about it. Everybody was across the city wanting Justin Jefferson. And I, I still think Justin Jefferson's a great player. I think he would have made a great Eagle, but. That was, a, that was an interesting uh, moment during the draft. That was like the first sporting event that we got after everything shut down from COVID. That's right. So I think we were all tuned into it and we were all amped up, me, Andrew, you and Matt for the Eagles picket, was it 21 overall? They were, yeah, I think they were 20 or 21. I don't remember, but yeah, it, it was, it was somewhere in there. And I think what's been difficult this year is, is Rager's injuries. Uh, but I really, I, like I said earlier in the podcast, get a different feel than I did with a JJ Ortega Whiteside or even Nelson Aguilar or any of these other picks. I think Rager has it. I think he's come to the team at a time where, well, let's face it, there's been some turmoil this year. And I think the wide receiver position is one that is sort of being refaced. And my hope is that he does break out, as, as you've said. Um, I was just going to say, during, during that draft selection, um, our text thread was started blowing up when, we, when Roger Goodell announced Jalen Reger 
we were all just like furious, me, Matt, and Andrew. Like, what? Why was that not? It was like a pit in your stomach when it wasn't Justin Jefferson, because that's all you wanted to hear, and he's an Eagles fan. And Chris, you texted immediately to our group. You're like, I like Rager. <laughs> I do. I do still. I do still like Rager, and it may come back to bite me. And you know, I mentioned Tavon Austin earlier. I think the worst case scenario is that Jalen Rager is Tavon Austin, but I really don't think that's true. I think as time goes on, he'll sort of establish himself a little bit more. Um, but I think he's a different type of player from Justin Jefferson. And I think as time goes on, we'll probably continue to see that. I think Justin Jefferson's emerging as a focal point of an offense. I think Rager is a strong weapon on an offense of other strong weapons like Miles Sanders, like Dallas Goddard, et cetera. Obviously he's not going anywhere. So um, the other player I want to see sort of step up and we saw at the very end of the game in the last gasp is Travis Fulgham. I'd really like to see a little bit more from him moving forward because I don't believe Alshon Jeffrey will be here next year. And I think Fulgham made two really clutch catchers, one of them a fourth down catch at the end of that game um that showed me a little something because both of them were difficult catches and he was able to make both and keep the uh momentum rolling for the eagles offense so that's another guy i really want to see step up as far as sort of the other side of the ball you know the cowboys have been playing pretty well the eagles beat them uh before their bye and the cowboys have been playing pretty decently since and have beaten some good teams and prior to uh, the eagles game andy dalton had suffered a concussion so the eagles wound up facing ben Denucci, who at the time outplayed the eagles quarterback carson wentz uh, we'll hope that that situation is far different this sunday but andy dalton is uh, making his first start as the cowboys quarterback against the eagles um I really want to see the Eagles line get after him and, and make his life mm -hmm. all, all, all day long. Uh, and I hope that that does involve Josh Sweat, who I didn't mention this as we came out of the Arizona game, but was injured. Although I don't know if it's been disclosed what the injury was. I haven't heard anything either. So I guess we'll see what's going on there. Um, but we'll hope that the D line can sort of get after him. We'll hope Darius Slay can, can come back. Um, I mean, who, who are you hoping to step up on defense, Mike? You, you mentioned about Rube saying Michael Jackett could be the starting quarterback opposite cornerback, <laughs> opposite Darius Slane next year. He may get that chance this week. I mean, realistically, uh, Avante is not going to be coming back anytime soon. So uh, I think that they're still going to be using some backup players here when it comes to the, the defensive backfield uh, between the safeties and the corners. Well, yeah, let me flip it to you, because I feel like a lot of us, we always get to pick before you do. Um, you know, who would, who's your defensive player of the game? Is it going to be somebody in the defensive backfield, or is it going to be somebody on the defensive line you were just talking about? Um, what do you, you know, say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guy that's, I guess, been talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks, but I've just seen so much from him, and I don't think I've taken him as a defensive player of the game, and that's Alex Singleton. And I know lots of uh, – Eagles water cooler members have, have taken him this year. And we've, we've talked a particularly, lot. Particularly, I think Matt in, in particular. That's right. <laughs> and really sort of recognizing the uh, black hole that was the Eagles linebacking core prior to the emergence of Alex Singleton, the emergence of TJ Edwards, uh, Sean uh, Bradley, and some of these other younger players. So I'm going to take Alex Singleton as my defensive player of the game. He seems to constantly make plays. I felt like there's a game in my mind from Cleveland a couple weeks back where he's making tons of plays all over the field. He's running, he's making tackles, he's doing everything he can. He's pouring sweat and like, you know, the 
the first quarter still. And he's like looking for high fives from his team members and everybody's sort of discouraged at that point and nobody's really giving it to him. And now he seems to be kind of the hype man for that defense. So that's, that's my guy, Alex Singleton. I like that pick a lot. He's really shown um, some guts this year and stepping into the role. Um, he, we, we really seem to have a player in him. I don't, uh, you know, somebody who could definitely be part of the future of that linebacking court. Yes. It seems to show up every, it seems to show up big every week. Um, he's been consistent. I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to take, <clears throat> I'm going to go with a guy who I think is just in absolute beast mode right now. Um, you know, the big bear on that line, Fletcher Cox, he is starting to emerge. I think if we could say Brandon Graham had uh, owned, was the king of the first half of this season. Fletcher Cox has certainly been the king uh, of the second half. And I, I really think he's, he looks hungry. He looks like he wants to eat on game day. You see a lot of him um, just laying on the ground, doing his um, tackle for loss celebration or sack. Gives it the guns at the end. Um, Those little army crawl. Army crawl, yep, with the, with the finger point. <laughs> He's, he's coming um, on, man. I mean, the thing is, I think the consistency from him, not in this past game against Arizona, but prior to that, five sacks in five games, I mean, that leadership part of it is really coming through. And I think at the D-tackle position, the Eagles have a lot of depth there. So it's really good yeah. to see Fletcher step up and, and make those plays. That's a great call. I, I think the defensive line is really starting to work uh, the way Jim Schwartz wants it to. They are – they're kind of firing on all cylinders right now. And – that's what makes Fletcher be able to start to emerge and have these more impactful stats games, because what are you going to do? You're not going to not cover Brandon Graham. You're not going to not cover Barnett or sweat. Well, and, and then you got Malik Jackson and Hargraves swapping out there. Like it's just too many people to pay attention to. Fletcher's going to get his. Well, and something Matt mentioned on our last podcast was that BG Matt said when he watched tape, BG was getting doubled on certain plays. And I wonder how much Fletcher right. production has kind of come off of, you know, like you said, BG being the first half of the season King and now Fletch the second, I think, you know, just sort of a shift in the double team, but that's a, that's a really good point, man. So I wonder who would be um, your offensive player of the game for this week against Dallas. Was Rager a breakout player, not not an offensive player of the game? Well, we talked about him as a guy that we want to see a little bit more from, or uh, I think the question was, like, who's going to step up? And we hope he's one of those guys. But All right, let me um, – Last week, and despite whatever it was, five for 50, I I wanted more. So I was a little disappointed in myself, but what would you think? So here's, here's my thought process, you know – uh, typically I would say let's pick another guy for just because it's a podcast that we can um, but I've had quite a good little streak going here of picking players and then there's been some nice results so for um, you know superstition let's just go with Jalen Rager with a monster day whoa, um, whoa. I'd love that I, a 60 plus yard touchdown um, and over 100 receiving yards I like that a lot. I think that's I think that's definitely possible. I think um, one of the wide receivers is probably going to have to step up. There's so many kind of easy ones at this point. I think Andrew mentioned in the last podcast. It's almost easy to say Jalen Hurts would say the would be the player of the game, and I think he probably will be uh, a big factor. Um, part of me thinks just Dallas Goddard will have a big game. 
this week. So I'm going to go with him. I think uh, Dallas Goddard will have a big game. But I'm going to – and you feel free on offense if you want to or on defense. I'm going to mention I think Quez Watkins is a little bit of a dark horse. I, I almost have okay. a vision in my head of that 60-yard bomb you talked about to Rager. I almost have a vision in my head of that going to Quez instead. Um, <laughs> We'll see. My, I was going to say my dark horse um, is Alshon Jeffrey. <laughs> he's been, he's been, man. I mean, he was two for 63, he drew a lot of uh, pass interference penalties last week. So who knows what we'll see uh, in probably what's the last two games we'll ever see in, in midnight green for Alshon. But what's your score prediction for this game, Michael? Uh, Cowboys have kind of struggled on defense all year. Eagles are starting to roll a little bit on offense. Not sure Dalton is really the quarterback to drop a big spot. I'm going to go Eagles with uh, most points so far this year, hitting 38. Woo! Dallas, 24. Man, that is a high number. You know, it's funny. Every once in a while during game week, this happened to me last week, and it wasn't far off. I said the Cardinals were going to score 34. They wound up with 33. So I'm going to stick with 24 is sticking out in my mind uh, this week. So I'm going to go Eagles 24, Dallas 13. Uh, so I, I like think that will be the result this week. I have this feeling that we may be in a position more confusing than we are now with regard to a high draft pick versus potentially making the playoffs because the NFC East is so bad. So Maybe the division will decide that for us. But for now, I'll tell you, I have this gut feeling that things are only going to get murkier, muddier, more confusing as time goes on. So uh, The draft pick is such a conundrum in my mind because uh, who knows? The Eagles could end up making a decision um, in the next couple months about what they're going to do with Carson Wentz. Not sure if they will. Uh, if they do that and Jalen Hurts becomes the guy – I don't put it past the Eagles not to draft another a safety net backup quarterback uh, high with a high draft pick again. Let me, so, put uh, you, let me put it to you this way, Mike, and we'll wrap on this. Given everything that's gone on in 2020, given the score right now and what it would take by conditions for the Eagles to make the playoffs, if Jalen Hurts is able to win these last two games and the other factors fall into place and the Eagles make the playoffs – and win a game. Is Carson time done in Philadelphia? Yeah. For, I agree. I agree. Because, because it's just too messy at that point. Like, there's too much drama. And I, the Eagles certainly don't want that much drama around that position. Carson, you know, getting maybe he's the starter game one doesn't play well then all of a sudden you're back into like what are we doing and you have this huge controversy um, I, I think they want to avoid that mess I would almost say Mike and I don't mean to stretch it here I would almost say there would there's an argument to be made if they can make the playoffs even if they're to lose that first game if they are to make the playoffs that this situation tips more in that direction and we'll continue to talk about that in future podcasts the Carson now- Jalen Hurts conundrum, the Doug situation, the Howie situation. These will all be installments in the, uh, the off-season series of the Eagles water cooler. Oh, yeah. Mike, really nice job tonight, man. I think we covered some ground. I am really, really interested to see uh, what winds up happening with Patrick Sertan, the player that you outlined, because I could see him occupying uh, one of the backfield position for the Eagles. He seems to have that kind of an attitude and uh, I'd really like to see a player 
a cornerback coming out of the SEC who can make those kind of plays, who's faced off against the best talent. So let's let's hope that winds up. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It was fun talking tonight about the birds. Absolutely. And we'll continue to try to cover some more of the draft stuff. Obviously, this weekend's outcome will dictate how much more we delve into that or uh, how much lower maybe uh, the Eagles draft position is. We will see as time plays out. But Mike, nice job tonight. You too, Chris, man. A lot of fun. Yep. Go Birds. Go Birds.